I'll be reading from the word of the Lord this morning. Our passage is from 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 11 and 16 through 29. You can find it in your bulletin if you'd like to read along. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of the city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city did as Jezebel had sent word to them as it was written in the letters that she had sent them. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Bashah, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, 
Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. The word of the Lord. Good morning again. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central. And um, we have one more week in Kings. This is next to the last week. And as we continue in this book of Kings, this week we see and explore the worst. Among the worst in the royalty of Israel. King Ahab and his queen wife Jezebel. So this week's story, as you've heard, goes this way. There is a garden owned by an Israelite by the name of Naboth. And it butts up right against King Ahab's property. And wanting a royal vegetable garden real badly, he asks for the garden and tries to bargain away from Naboth. But he refuses. Naboth refuses to sell. And when I think about this, it, it makes me um, think about, y'all seen the Thirsty Beaver on Central Avenue up here? Um, near the intersection of Hawthorne? It's this tiny old bar with a brand new high-rise condo literally being built and wrapped around it. They refuse to sell. It reminds me of the movie Up, how the old couple refuses to sell and remains the only tiny little house in the middle of high-rises. But Naboth didn't sell because the price was not right. But because Israelite land was supposed to stay in the family, in the clan, in the tribe. So that one tribe or clan or family could not monopolize or gentrify or push out one another. And that family or tribe would ever look at the land of God's promise and say, God's not ours and we're not God's. You see, the land was God's gift. It was God's blessing to each of the tribes. It is almost like it was inherited through the family, passed on and granted and, and willed to them by God himself. So, the God, God, so God got glory and, and gave blessing out of that arrangement. So for Ahab to want and ask and seek to take, not even lease it. I mean, there's sort of a lease allowed in Scripture, but you could never completely lose your land. But for Ahab to possess it, was not to take Naboth's land, but to take his blessing from God for himself, to steal God's glory and mess with God's divine subdivision plan for the Israelites. And Naboth and the Lord with him were not having it. But the Bible says King Ahab had to have it. And this is what he learned, and, and we learn with him, and from this passage, three things I want us to see today. Stealing God's glory will result in sour grapes. Secondly, inheriting God's blessing will result in sweet grace. And finally, longing for God's grace will produce even more grace. Look with me again at verses 1 through 4. Now Naboth the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the place of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll pay you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had say, said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down in his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. 
The Bible says that Ahab got sick for not just wanting the vineyards for bad, but being told no, that when he couldn't get a royal vegetable garden, he knew if it was for, um, connected to the Lord, it really was no. Emotionally, he was filled with a royal vineyard of sour grapes. He was pouting and being a royal big baby about it. And then his queen wife is like, what's the matter with you? Ahab is the quintessential pouty little boy who's a man who can't grow up and be a man, right? And Jezebel has to be like his mama more than his wife. The Bible says that she's like you, the big dog, acting like a puppy, right? Get yours, right? I, I can't stand to see a grown man who has the power to act to, to, in the world act so silly. It makes me look bad, she's probably thinking. You got to get yourself together, man, over a piece of land owned by a little piece of man, and we the big ballers. This is what you will do. Everybody knows these Israelites are very, all very religious, so we'll throw a church service around the fast. And we'll make Naboth kind of at the head table or something. Pretty smart. Because everybody knows not eating can make you irritated. Well, the one person in the situation you can't get irritated in with when you haven't eaten all day is God on a holy fast day, right? But you know someone always going to get mad at God when they can't eat. You ever been to a church, like, like event, and they run out of chicken and you got to get the ham? Man. <laughs> or that one lady that makes that pound cake everybody wants and you run and it's gone? Mad people in God's church. People break down. So it wouldn't be strange when we get, when she's thinking, when we get two hoodlums to sit next to Naboth at the fast and jump up and say, he mad at God, y'all, I heard him. He admitted he more hungry than he is holy. He cussed and then went for chicken leg. We saw him. Reminds me of a friend who tried to be a black Muslim and attempt to be more conscious. And he told me he went to a cookout and they had ribs on the grill. And when he smelled it, I'm not going to use the exact words he used, but he was like, as he reached for and bit into a bone, man, these Negroes is crazy. I'm going to eat. <laughs> Back then, cursing over not eating or, or realizing you got some sin in your life during a fast, during a holy commitment to not eat, was a deadly offense. And they lied on poor Naboth and took him outside. And I'm sure he's like, no, I didn't. And no one believed him because everyone was all irritated and hungry and tense and wanted to kill somebody up in there. And they killed him. And the Bible says that Jezebel is like, Ahab, baby, he dead. The land is yours. And have probably ended fast, real good, ate real good, and headed off, the Bible says, to the closing. Ancient Middle Eastern style closing. Prophet of, until the prophet Elijah turns the proverbial lights onto Ahaz's private party of possession. You ever want something? Or want something to happen? Or want someone, or want someone to do what you want, or even want to be something you can't or shouldn't so badly that it almost becomes your food. It is the thing that holds up your happiness. You can't be happy about anything. You can't have a good day. It's the thing that, that, that makes you feel like Mariah Carey says, that you can't live if living is without you or it or that or this or now or when. Like somebody told me yesterday, wanting something so badly that you'll feel a little better if no one ends up with it. Well, we have felt, all felt, and that may be what Ahab experienced. 
more than just broken or deferred dreams, but seeking to steal in some way or take or control God's glory. And that will always produce sour grapes and a life that is filled with bitterness and despair and sadness. Here is a hard thing to hear considering the world's marketing techniques that bombard us every day. Guess what? You can't be, have, or control everything and anything you want to. Sometimes the answer is no. And that was hard for Ahab because he heard no, and it was about God's no to him, right? Sometimes the answer is not right now or never, never going to get it, right? Or not allowed or wrong and never going to be made right enough for you to have it. The Bible calls the drive and desire and bitterness to have what is not you or yours to have coveting. It's the last command on the list of ten. But it's not last because it is least important or least significant. Right? I would say coveting is is last, like like the bottom, right? Like the foundation. I heard one pastor call it the bass note, right, of the melody. Coveting is so damaging and detrimental. It so easily can take bitter root and make bitter fruits in your life. And here, here is what is hard and impossible about coveting. You can't fake it or shake it when it gets you. It is an attitude more than an action. It is a heart more than in the hands, right? It is the character. And it's like a cancer that takes hold inside of you and makes your eyes see and your mouth taste the hope of what you want. Like it is actually there or is wrong that you don't have it. Coveting makes you think, if having it is wrong, then I don't want to be right. And this is why coveting is the doorway, right? to breaking all the rest of the commandments like Ahab and Jezebel basically did. Think about what Ahab's coveting, what was not right for him to have did. You see, when opportunity, when the devil and tempting opportunity in the form of Jezebel came, it was a fix, y'all. It was like a release for his built-up internal turmoil and sour grapes and bitterness of not having. And out of that heart of coveting came almost every type of sin. Ahab made an idol out of that garden. He put his desires before and above God. He didn't honor the fathers and mothers and heritage of Israel that God had given them in the inheritance and through the sanctioned actions of his wife, murder and lying and stealing, Sabbath breaking and, and calling a fast that was fake and a holy day where they didn't really honor God. I want to say adultery was committed and, and him allowing and using the relationship with his wife in a wrong way to do evil to get what he wanted. Every sin was, every commandment was broken, and it entered in through the heart of coveting, right? Stealing God's glory. Seeking to do and have what God God says that you can't will lead to all sorts of evil and injustices and tyranny in the world and people around you. And it will be easy to build up hate and prejudice against certain people, groups, or genders and disrespect and demean and run over people. And like Ahab not eating, self-destructive and lack of self-care kind of behavior. Some of us hate other married people. We hate married people and struggle during the infant baptism, some of us. Hating the happiness of, and unable to enter into the happiness of someone for something you wanted and didn't get or don't have anymore. I'm not talking about single people. 
Married people are the most jealous and covetous of what it appears other marriages and people in those marriages have and look like in their happiness. I wish I had a man like that. Do you see how that husband is? And you don't know nothing. And some of us will even steal relationships, shoplifting relationships or opportunities that are not yours because you long for sexual, intimate connection. You'll steal someone else's dignity and purity and their attention away. And some of us will steal from God and not tithe and give because we want a bigger this or that or don't want to wait that long to get in the financial position. We always wanted to be in. Some of us have basically stoned and killed our friends and family and children and neighbors and church to secure something or someone or some pleasure or goal that we want. I've seen it happen. People covet our relationships so badly they disappear from the church community because they know they're doing wrong. Where they been? Well, you know, um, they dating so-and-so. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. I've done it too, right? Where I just kind of get lost because I want to do something I didn't want to, like I didn't want to get caught in or you just kind of drop out uh, somebody call you, kind of let it go to voicemail, right? You stone the relationship. You get rid of what's in your way to get what you want that God's saying no to. So how do I know if I'm just wanting something badly or coveting? If you have to sin or stew in sinful thoughts and heart to have and get it, if it makes you mad to be alive, right? It makes you a hater and a jerk to be around, right? You're just prickly all the time. You just can't rest, anxious, just mean to everybody and happy for no one else. You're 99% treading on heaven's eye or seeking to steal and take possession of what God's glory is all about by coveting. It's a hard one. You thought, man, we don't really talk about coveting in the Ten Commandments. Lying, stealing, adultery, murder, and coveting is the hardest one because it's all inside. But like Ahab, you know what it equals? A burdensome, sad, emptying, and dark and evil life. Sour grapes. Look at verses 1 through 3. Now Naboth, the Jezreel, Jezreelite, sorry, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. I don't know if you see the contrast to sour grapes. What Naboth had was an inheritance of God's blessing that resulted for him in sweet grace, right? There was something, I hope you pick up about Naboth's vineyard, that was sweet. And the Bible doesn't tell us, I love it, that the grapes it produced or the vineyards were the best in the country. As a matter of fact, Ahab appears to want to bulldoze it for a vegetable garden. You know, he had a little broke-down house, right, in, in a little broke-down bungalow. You're going to knock it down and build a 3,000-square-foot house that looks like a bungalow, right? Happens all over Charlotte. It costs more money to fix that thing 
than to build a new one. Right? So he wants to, you see Ahab, he wants to bulldoze it for a vegetable garden like the grapes weren't all of that. Plus, covetous people just want what they want and can't see what's there as something good. It's just blocking theirs. But I contend that Naboth had the sweetest thing you could ever know. He had an inheritance from God. From God that was not earned or bought but inherited. And that gave his vineyard just because of what it was tied to and ultimately pointed to. It gave it a beauty that was not for sale and a fulfillment that was priceless. And Ahab couldn't understand it. He sort of did. That's why he was so sad. But Naboth really got it. Naboth's words in verse 3 tells us, tells it all. The Lord forbid it, he says. It isn't what an inheritance, that seems to be the key word in today's uh, church service, inheritance of my fathers. In other words, this is not just land and not just a vineyard. I know it looked like just a little something, something you put a little vegetable garden in. This is God's blessing for me. This represents God's mercy. This is God's providence. This is God's grace. This this land represents God's relationship and promise to me and our people. To give you this would mess up a beautiful thing. The most beautiful thing in this world, more than a royal vegetable garden, and more than something I could retire on if I sold it and get my kids through college, it represents God's love for me and me being able to love God by being obedient to him. And on top of that, a relationship with him, unlike this vineyard, know what it represents that it won't leave my family? That God, my relationship with God, on God's side, will never fail. It will never cease to produce fruit and be good to me. God, like this land, is out, is in this land, is to our family, right? Look, look, that he will never leave or forsake us and leave us high and dry. Look, Ahab, Naboth is saying, I didn't make that relationship, so I can't give it away. I inherited it. And the land is not the gift. It is the physical marker or contract of the real gift. It's like a wedding band. The real gift is the Lord, that the Lord is my God and I have value and worth in his eyes. I am redeemed as his own. I've been bought with the price being God's child. I am blood bought and the land, the land is simply a sign and symbol of that. This little plot is all of that to me. Here is what will help our covetous hearts and lives. Inheriting something. Wow. And seeing all that you have as a gift of God's love. All you have is a sign that God notices you and his eyes are on you. Your life, if you are the Lord, regardless of what you can or can't get by your own hands, is an inheritance that has a beauty and fulfillment and goodness and light and love that is not for sale and can't be lost or taken by the world. Like Naboth, regardless of how many square feet you have, Or how many zeros exist in your check? Or maybe lacking in your bank account. Some of us got the little negative sign in front of it right now. Overdraft fees. I know about that. Or how, it doesn't matter how good your marriage or singleness, success and work is. Just a strip, right? Like Naboth had. Just a strip of God's grace or God seeing and saying, I love you. I know you. Just reflecting on and experience that and more of that gives and should leave in you and fill you and me with a beauty and fullness that nothing else can and makes everything else fall in place. As I was reading this, 
Now I started coveting that. I want to be like Naboth. Gosh, I'd like to be content. I can say no to some stuff and save some money. I can put Amazon out of business. I'm keeping them in business right now. Love those little brown packages. I like the little brown truck that brings it too. To the brown residents. <laughs> so you're starting to covet that, right? But hear me. The impossible. Coveting is impossible, right? Even more impossible for Americans, feeling and freedom and the kind of beauty that Naboth experienced is impossible. That Naboth was settled and content and stood strong in it was itself a gift of God's grace inheritance. Oh, man, come on. He inherited, you talked about the land, and, and it made him content. But wait a minute, you mean that the contentment that had him hold on to the land is a gift too? Doggone. It's like a double grace going on. So you can't work or buy or deny yourself into being happy for what you feel may be eating you up in desire. You can't do it. A grateful heart is a gift and work of God. It's behind the glass case. <laughs> a heart that is able to find joy and contentment in life is like Naboth's vineyard. It is a growing, it is an inheritance of God's sweet grace in your life that is growing and beginning to overcome the bitterness and temptation of coveting. How do you get a heart and life and happiness like that? Surprisingly, in this passage, it's King Ahab who shows us the way. Oh, evil King Ahab? Yeah. Because I think in some ways you're more like him than Naboth, right? Before I move on, I want to give you an exercise, not a prescription, just an exercise. I've given you this before. I need to be reminded of it again. I haven't done it yet, so I'm not holy yet. Okay? I ain't good. Just something that God put in my head a long time ago, and I told you this in one sermon, a sermon way ago, way time ago, and I'm going to tell you again. Just take one room. Maybe your family's sitting in there, maybe your friends sitting in there, whatever. Maybe you go to your parents' house, I don't know. I recommend this for, go do it again. Go through the room. If you have no, no home, walk around on the grass and trees, right? And breathe the air in and touch your clothes and touch your arms and legs if you don't have no house. And if you have a home, touch almost every single thing you can in the room. Even the kids, they sitting around watching the game, just do that. Mug them on the head. I do that to my boys sometimes. I hate it. But I love it. Yeah, just, just touch your friends. Maybe at community group, just walk around. People think you're crazy. Touch appropriately. Guys, this ain't leading to nothing. Husbands, just, just, just touch appropriately, head, something like that. Touch your animals. And this is what will happen. As you touch, begin to thank God for it. You will replay in your heart and mind what was gotten from pouting and pushing. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in the room that got that way. And which you pout because you want a bigger and better one. You touch a flat screen, talk. It's only 50 inches. I 
saw 70 the other day. But it will be a way to see that all things, all good things are God's blessing and should be gained and used for his glory. Everything great and small that you have and are should be offered up and recognized as God providing it. And us to use it for and because of his beauty and bounty and fullness. And it gives us an opportunity to repent a little bit. To check ourselves. I'm not first in line to try to do it either. Okay? But it's worth an exercise of faith. But back to Ahab, okay? Back to the sermon. So dude is on the way after Naboth is killed to get his. And out jumps Elijah. And Ahab knows immediately that this is like the call from a lawyer, agent, or bank a day before closing. We need some more paperwork, right? Something probably ain't right. We need you to pay off this bill real quick. Doggone. He even calls Elijah his enemy. An enemy of his happiness, right? Look at verse 20. And Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. For the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin, and of Jezreel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Now, I'm going to stop right there. That's in 2 Kings. It is by far one of the most violent passages in the Bible. I know for some of y'all, I'm going to go look for it now. Walking Dead ain't on right now. I got to go see something like it. It is Walking Dead-like, let me tell you. The only thing left of Jezebel was like her face and her palms. Seriously. Seriously messed up stuff. Okay. I was going to put it in there, but I realized I was just doing it for gratuitous reasons, so I just didn't do it. Okay, so anyway, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And any one of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven, heaven shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab when Jezebel, his wife, incited, whom Jezebel's wife incited. He acted very abominably, right? can't even say that word right. And going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about de dejectedly. Sound familiar from the beginning, right? And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. You know what stands out to me in these closing verses? How grace and justice are tied together. Grace is about receiving justice that you, being powerless, can't and couldn't get for yourself. And this is true for Naboth, right? God did not forget him. Because somebody powerful took him out to take his stuff. It was just like he explained. The vineyard was always about my relationship with the Lord, with him as being God's child and God as his father. And God proves that to be true by holding Ahab and Jezebel accountable for the life of Naboth and what he had. 
You see, the rule of never losing the land God gave was a sign that pointed to a more important thing, that like we would our own children who are inheritors and benefactors of what we as parents may have, that the Lord will never just forget or overlook or lose his people in a dehumanizing world of power and oppression and injustice. That means that all the covetous generated sin throughout history, the history of humankind that resulted and resulted in atrocity after atrocity and injustice after injustice will not go unnoticed or undealt with. No matter how stacked and off the scales of justice in this world are by the evil things people do to get more and be more than they should in this world, God does not forget he is a just God. See, Naboth was willing to die for what the vineyard meant. You know, when you tell a king with a wife like Jezebel, no, you did, right? He was willing to die for what the vineyard meant because it meant he was filled and justified by the love and grace of God for him. He didn't want to live if it wasn't without God, right? That the Lord himself lived with and in him, that God was cool with him, that he stood righteous in front of God and that God of heaven loved him. And that same just loving grace that Naboth experienced in life and was willing to die for is the same grace that God used to challenge and change Ahab. When we talk about grace, again, sometimes we don't realize that grace in your eyes is your eyes being open to the beauty of God's holiness and justice and seeing your sin in the light of it and being taken and drawn and embraced by his forgiveness. The law and just penalty was clear from God through Elijah for Ahab and Jezebel. They were going to be judged. They would be penalized for their unjust actions, but then held accountable and judged by God because of their sins, not just against Naboth, right? But as they did this against Naboth, against the Lord. This is just a quick aside here. When people do other people wrong, because people are made in the image and likeness of God, you do God wrong. It's not just, oh, we, we treated this person wrong. They got, they got treated wrong unjustly. You know, we pushed them out. We did wrong by them. Uh, I'm good. We, we settled out of court. Ah, man. The Lord is the, you know how the, the, the dollar was backed by the gold standard and all that? Behind the image of human beings, it's backed by the, the glory of God who created them. So when, you, when they sinned and killed Naboth, they sinned against the Lord. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But Elijah promises Ahab and Jezebel will not get away with their ways and will die and that there will be outward and public shame and how they will die to send a clear message that the world will know and see that God is good and holy and that coveting and disobeying him is not only morally wrong, but personally offensive to him and is self and other destructive and it cuts off love from his love from others. But I want to get to Ahab's journey from sour grapes to sweet grapes. When it says Ahab humbled himself, in verse 29, before the Lord, to have Elijah say it, it meant that it was real. 
It meant he wasn't just pouting this time, y'all. It meant that Ahab had a real and true change of heart. That he truly heard and believed that he was a sinner. That he was way off. He, he saw it as he heard the word of God from Elijah and it broke him down. And in that moment, Ahab longed again like he did for Naboth's garden. Look at it. In the beginning, he, you know, he was all sad, laying in the bed, crying. And now when he hears about what he did before the Lord, he's once again dejected and sad and, and crying. Right? But this time. Ahab longed for something that he couldn't get and didn't get himself. It was different. See, Ahab went down to get what he thought was his heart desire and what would fill and make him happy in taking possession of Naboth's vineyard. But God had something better for him. The most evil man in the world at the time. On the way, the Lord stopped and gave Ahab a heart that wanted more than an earthly vineyard. And then, get this, y'all, the Lord actually gave him what his heart needed. What Ahab discovered his heart was open to was that he didn't need another vineyard. But he wanted to be whole. He wanted to be righteous. He wanted to be filled. And that living and being frustrated and sour and driven and sinful and angry to, get, to, to, to have a vegetable garden was missing it. It was not enough for him for the first time in his life for what God had truly made him for. Ahab, again, for the first time more than anything, wanted to be right with God. To have the Lord be his ultimate vineyard. And when he tore his clothing, that was an outward showing of a torn heart. His inside was sad and broken that he had squandered and missed and sinned against an awesome righteousness and grace that God was and had from Ahab was saying and declaring, I thought this vineyard would make me happy and whole, but you messed me up, Lord. And now you and your grace alone, your love, your promises alone will fix and fill what is really broken and empty. And now all he ever thought he wanted is put in right perspective. And it doesn't mean he won't be disappointed ever again or sad that he missed out on something he wanted. No, it meant that his life would not be defined and driven down and away from God to have what he shouldn't have. Alicia Keys said it best, right? Sometimes we sing this in one of our songs, but we change the words a little bit. So some people live for the fortune. I wish I could sing. Some people live just for the fame. Some people live for the power. Some people live just to play the game. Some people think that the physical things define what's within. And I've been there before, and that life's a bore. So full of superficial. Some people want it all. But I don't want anything at all if it ain't got you, baby. If it ain't got you, baby. Some people want diamond rings. Some just want everything. But everything means nothing. If it ain't got you. Some people search for a fountain that promises forever young. Some people need three dozen roses. And that's the only way to prove you love them. Hand me the world on a silver platter. And what good would it be with no one to share? With no one who truly cares for me? Ahab discovered that everything means nothing. Not only if he ain't got the Lord, but everything means nothing if the Lord ain't got him. Isn't it funny that Naboth's fullness and Ahab's change came primarily not from getting what they wanted, but being gotten 
not owning and having all, but being bought and possessed by the Lord. Let me flip it on you this way. You and I are always wanting more of what won't satisfy. But the Lord who has and is everything wants more of you and me and more people like you and me. You see, this thing goes deeper because this story was never about Ahab going to get what he wanted, but about the Lord getting who he wanted. It was about God getting another broken, discontent human being in Ahab who needed his love and grace and justification. This grace in this story is that the Lord could have let Ahab get that vineyard with no problems and get that vegetable garden, but the Lord wanted more for Ahab than what Ahab even wanted, and that is what God's grace is all about. What is it that you want so badly? What's keeping you up at night? What's making us do bizarre and evil things? The Lord wants you and his good for you worse than you ever could want anything. Did you know that? And he did something more bizarre and crazy to get and keep you. You think you want something? Let me tell you what the Lord did. Ahab was given the grace of God. And forgiveness happened to Ahab. But someone had to pay for it. I argue that Naboth actually did give Ahab all of what his vineyard actually meant and not just what it was. It took the death of a faithful living Naboth, the spilling of his blood because of Ahab's covetous and multiple sins against God to finally open the eyes of Ahab and crush the head of the evil serpent in Jezebel. Ahab was buried, the Bible says, which means and points to a strong possibility that after his death that he went into the vineyards of God's eternal grace and hung out with Naboth right in there. But Jezebel was crushed to nothing and judged for all time by God's wrath and power. Do you know the story? God sent his son Jesus to earth and to human history and the broken human experience and Jesus had a great inheritance that was his as the son of God full of grace and glory. And the Lord did more than pine and get sick to have you. He let his son like Naboth be killed and die by and for greedy, covetous scoundrels like us so that when Jesus died and rose again, he would be able to put the foot on the neck of sin and Satan like the destructive Jezebel, to no longer have power over us so that we could have him and he could have us forever and we could inherit what his love, his love and his power and his hope and his peace and that stuff can grow in us like a vineyard or a vegetable garden from the Lord. For you Ahabs who live in the bitterness of stealing God's glory, who long for the beauty and fullness of God's gift of contentment, Jesus' death has produced more grace for your need. Come to him. Come back to him. Turn back to him. Let your heart be torn for more than you can give yourself and what Christ freely gives by grace. God is calling us to come from the vineyard of sour grapes and into the freedom and love of his grace. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you. Our covetousness is matched by your desire in pursuit of sinners like us. Thank you, Lord, for wanting us. Thank you, Lord, in wanting us so bad you'd be willing to die. I pray for people here who feel like they're too far gone. They want too much and too many things that are opposed to you and your glory. But, Lord, we know it isn't impossible. What's impossible for us has been made possible in Christ. Work in the hearts of people right now. Give them a new heart, Lord. Give them what they can't buy. Help them to inherit the gift of eternal life. Take that heart of stone, God, and give us a heart of flesh. For those of us who know you, Lord, renew a right spirit in us. Because we cannot do it for ourselves. Lord, thank you that Jesus died that the sour grapes this life produces won't stop us because of him from experiencing the sweetness of your grace. This we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.